0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. The Inside the Boards podcast and this message are made possible in part by Med School Tutors. Med School Tutors was founded with a singular purpose, to revolutionize the way aspiring physicians prep for standardized exams. They're the leading experts in one-to-one tutoring For the USMLE, Comlex, shelf exams, medical coursework, and admissions in residency advisement. Med School Tutors. Better starts now. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer, so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Hey everyone, I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Today is one of the best question dissections that we have done on the Inside the Boards podcast. I will warn you, at the beginning, for about two minutes, there's a few kind of like popping sounds that do go away in the subsequent recording during the question dissection. So, fair warning, and I apologize, but it is what it is. This question breakdown is applicable for really any level of the boards, whether it's step one, step two, step three, or even your shelf exam. So, This is a fairly widely applicable show today, and if you like it, as always, I will say please share with your friends. Just click the episode you're listening to now if you are not driving, and hit share on Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media you use, or consider sending it to a friend. And finally, I will say, don't forget about our second channel, the Inside the Boards Study Smarter channel. Not only is that channel going to be the place where we house content related to our Step 1 Study Smarter series, but that is also where we are going to put our Step 2 Study Smarter series. And as well for you new first years, second years out there, That channel is where we're going to be putting a lot of the ongoing sort of first year level, second year level stuff to help you during your med school coursework. So don't forget about that. Just search your favorite podcatcher for Inside the Boards Study Smarter. Today we have Brian Radovansky from Med School Tutors. Brian, I will let you go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: I'm Brian. I uh, am currently undergoing my anesthesia residency over at uh, Hospital University of Pennsylvania. I'm in my final year there, and we'll be going on to do a cardiothoracic fellowship in anesthesia. Uh, I've been working with med school tutors all the way since uh, medical school myself. Right after I finished Step One and Step Two, I said, "Oh, um, I love tests more than the next person in a kind of creepy, horrible way. So maybe I can sublimate that into being able to help people out along the way." So I started off in just a tutoring role, expanded that into some of the more uh, blog-driven stuff. So I've been writing for them for a number of years and became one of the senior writers there and picking up auxiliary projects on the side, getting involved with uh, some of the resource review that they do, uh, working closely with Memorang, and uh, getting involved in some of the residency advising positions. So,
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, We actually recently featured Dr. Radovansky's article on the Inside the Board's audio blog series that we're doing with med school tutors. His article was Seven Proven Techniques to Manage USMLE Test Anxiety. So that's well worth checking out. Brian, why don't we just get right into the content?
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: Well, let's get into it. Uh, To situate Your, um, you know, uh, participation today within a larger context and in continuity with the, the last thing we featured from you regarding the seven proven techniques to manage USMLE test anxiety, today you are here to approach a question, to do a question breakdown. And in my mind really dissecting and analyzing questions which has been the basis of our platform is one of the ways to demystify the whole standardized testing um, uh, kind of experience and I I think um, once you get to the root causes of these things probably does help people with uh, some of their test anxiety. I don't know what are your thoughts on that more generally?
1: Yeah I think that so much of the struggles with USMLE tests are not from the medical knowledge basis so much as the here's this enormous thing with tons of gravity and seven, eight hours long and hundreds of questions and all of your medical school combined right there into this, this uh, couple hours, get it done, get it done right. So once you... Step away from that and realize, hey, this is just another day of answering questions like I've been doing every day for the last five, six, eight weeks. Once you put together a framework and have uh, the same approach to all sorts of questions as opposed to just taking each one as they come and knowing the angle that you're getting into. I think that really helps to give you like uh, the right direction and just like you say, demystify all the uh, scariness behind these questions. And is this like
0: question dissection skill that um, you've demonstrated with uh, your blog articles, um, is that something you're able to learn? Is that something
1: that you teach in your work with med school tutors? So it is definitely something that when I'm sitting down with students, especially in the sessions that we do early on, we say, I want you to take me through this question and you student tell me as you're going through this, what thoughts are coming up in your mind? How are you going through this and there's a lot of different schools of thought on this where some students are jumping to the answers first so that that kind of reframes the way they look at it whereas i think when you get any of these questions so much important information is contained right there in that first sentence where you get your demographic you get your chief complaint and i find that that should really be what sets the framework so sometimes i'm kind of turning things right side up again for students and their approaches and i really think that a slow approach starting from that first sentence is the only way to begin.
0: I'm going to read uh, the stem. You can treat me like a, a, a student that you're tutoring.
1: <laughs> All right. Fair enough.
0: All right. So the first one we have um, is actually a published article that you have, a question breakdown, which you can find in the show notes. A young woman with fever and oliguria So a 24-year-old female with no past medical history presents to her primary care doctor complaining of a fever. The fever started two days ago, though she was unable to take temperatures at home and has just felt hot. Review of systems is positive for fatigue, arthralgias, and decreased urine output in the last day or so. Can I stop you
1: already, Patrick?
0: Absolutely. Is this
1: the way that you want to do it? A little back and forth? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if I knew that, I would have even stopped it after you completed the first sentence. Because even in that single sentence, you have something relatively remarkable, especially in the scheme of hospital medicine, especially in the scheme of your day-to-day patients. It's somewhat odd, unless you're in the primary care practice, to have a 24-year-old patient in and of itself. So many of the patients that we see in these vignettes are 50s, 60s, 70s. They've had decades to start building up. Comorbid diseases, which are driving whatever disease process they're suffering from. So even in this single sentence, you see we have a 24 year old female She doesn't have any baggage coming with her. She is otherwise healthy and now she has a new complaint So that right there kind of points you in one direction one spot in your mind as opposed to that uh, 68 year old male with diabetes hypertension and a suffering heart
0: And I I guess um, that is really part of doing these dissections because as you come out of the gate, 24-year-old female, no past medical history, you're right, does say a lot. You know that um, any cause of fever that she has is is not going to be due to a chronic disease. And you're going to be looking for, I guess, um, notable items that point you towards uh, a system to focus in on to get the diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. One more thing I want to say, though, is in the the heat of your question block when you're doing your NBME or your actual step one, step two exams is you complete your question. You say, all right, I'm going with answer B. You go on to the next question. You're still kind of jazzed up from the question before. And this first sentence can sometimes get lost in that when you are still kind of taking that side from the previous question. And you end up saying, okay, a 24 year old somebody has uh, this problem. She's at the doctor. And not until the third, fourth, fifth sentence, or even sometimes when you get to the lab values, is your brain actually focused on this question? So that's why I think it is so important to take that full breath, pause in between questions, and when you go on to the next question, you approach it, okay, I'm fresh, what's going on in sentence one here?
0: So next sentence, the fever started two days ago, though she was unable to take temperatures at home and has just felt hot. Review of systems is positive for fatigue, arthralgias,
1: and decreased urine output in the last day or so. Every time you go through these, you want to say, What is really jumping out at me? Which of these is kind of expected, not so important, not so unexpected, and what is most remarkable? So when you have this sentence, we get a time course for this. So this has been going on for two days. So we know it's at least in this kind of acute, subacute phase. It's not like a weeks of fever or month of fever where you're thinking of a more chronic indolent process. The other thing that at least jumps out at me is decreased urine output because that's something that not too many people would notice outside of being trapped in the OR and you say, man, I haven't had anything to drink in the last 12 hours and haven't gone to the bathroom. But when you have a patient who says, yeah, I noticed that I'm peeing less, that is a relatively remarkable finding for you to actually notice it and not in the setting of knowing that you're dehydrated uh, knowing that there's a good reason for it, that really jumps out at me here. And then to continue,
0: she recently completed a course of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole for an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. Vital signs are temperature 101.3, a heart rate of 104, blood pressure of 114 over 74, and a respiratory rate of 18. Physical exam is significant for a diffuse non peridic maculopapular
1: rash on the torso, but is otherwise normal. Now all of a sudden we have somebody who doesn't really have a proper quote unquote past medical history that is coming with a little bit of history. She had a UTI, she took an antibiotic for it. So whether or not that's pertinent, we will come to find out, but we do now know something did happen before this uh, acute presentation. And then, as we look at the vitals, anything jump out at you there, Patrick? The value of her fever and uh, her heart rate. Yeah. So, whereas in the subjective complaints, she hadn't taken a temperature at home, she just complained of feeling hot. Now we have some objective data. Yes, she does indeed have a measurable fever and slightly tachycardic, which we, is pretty expected in the setting of an elevated temperature. And then just looking at her respiratory rate, her blood pressure, some reassuring signs that uh, we're not going down that route of being septic or having other organ systems fail.
0: And she also has this diffuse non non-paritic
1: maculopapular rash. Right, so definitely a big physical exam finding. We don't really see too much else mentioned on physical exam. So we'll have to keep that in mind, obviously rash is somewhat nonspecific in that so many different things can cause rashes. So, we'll have to see what information we get further to try to get an etiology for it. All right. So, on to the labs. So, her
0: sodium is 141, potassium is 4.4, chloride 99, bicarb 23, BUN of 30, creatinine of 2.1, and a glucose of 102.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one thing out there I think jumps more than the rest, whether or not you have your lab values memorized, anything jump out at you? I would say the creatinine. Right. And so it's, uh, you'll get in the habit, whether or not students are there, of starting to memorize your normal values. Don't get hung up on it and, like, sit there with your chart and try to internalize them. But as you do more and more and more of these questions, as you treat more and more patients throughout, uh, your clerkships and do more vignettes, you'll get a sense for what lab values are totally out of the range. And for an otherwise healthy year old, healthy 24 year old female, that creatinine of two really jumps out as something is going on with her kidneys. We are in probably an AKI, an acute kidney injury. Assuming that we don't have any reason for this to be chronic in which she doesn't have any past medical history so it almost certainly is acute.
0: Yep. And then her urinalysis shows pyuria with many eosinophils and no bacteria. So our interrogatory is, what is the most likely etiology of this patient's chemistry abnormalities? I guess that harks back to uh, what you had just said. What are those chemistry abnormalities? The chief one is this creatinine. Actually, it's really the only one, right? Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. And if we... uh go to the urinalysis, we know we have a kidney injury, and hopefully the urinalysis will start to point us to a cause of that in combination, as always, with history and physical. So does that urinalysis scream anything at you? Um,
0: You know, I haven't looked at the answer choices yet. Eosinophils, I know, is going to be
1: important, and Mm -hmm. the fact that there is currently no bacteria. Right. And eosinophils in general, whether they are found in the serum or whether they are found in urine, generally point to something on the allergic spectrum. Yep, An important thing to keep in mind there. And then this is something that I just see a lot of students trip up on the definition of pyuria, which if you go down to read this, even I say that for the first 40% of my medical school tenure, I always thought that meant it burned when you peed like pyre. But yeah, yeah. pyuria is in fact the same as like pyogenic, where you have white blood cells in the urine.
0: Good point of distinction uh, on the terminology. All right, so what is the most likely uh, etiology of this patient's chemistry abnormalities? Here are the choices. A, decreased renal perfusion secondary to dehydration. B, post-obstructive nephropathy. C, granulomatosis with polyangiitis, which is Wagner's disease. D, sloughing of tubular epithelium into the renal tubule. Or E,
1: allergic immune response in the renal interstitium. So you'll see here, like just about every uh, USMLE question outside of the ones that just have a biochemical pathway where you need to fill an answer in, this necessitates making a diagnosis. Sometimes students will try to circumvent that and try to backdoor their way to the answer. But you'll find in at least, I would say, 80% of questions, making a diagnosis is totally necessary to get to the answer choice. Yeah. So before we pick one of these, we have to say, hey, what is this patient suffering from? What can we diagnose her with? And the way to do that, we can look at all, synthesize all of this abnormal lab values, abnormal information, and see what disease process might be able to explain that.
0: Actually, I would say this is is a perfect example for for me, who has been out of medical school, not quite a decade, but getting dangerously close. So the way I would approach this question, if for, you know, some God awful reason, I were required to take step one or uh, step two again, I would be like 24 year old lady, fever, arthralgias now after a um, uncomplicated urinary tract infection where she took a sulfa antibiotic. Um, confirmed fever, and now maculopapular rash with an elevated creatinine and eosinophils on her urinalysis. In my mind, I know what I would jump to immediately without thinking anything else. That would be E, allergic immune response in the renal
1: interstitium. Being distant from things, and this is uh, somewhere in your in your mind space of putting the symptomatology together with the disease process. And yeah, basically that's all these questions are. It's comes down to pattern recognition. The tricky part is there's 500 to a thousand patterns that we have to memorize. But I would like the way that you synthesized that and you were able to pretty much condense that 15, 20 lines of information into more or less a one-liner and saying, hey, I have a 24-year-old female. She doesn't have any past medical history. She has a recent UTI, took an antibiotic, now has a fever, a rash, and joint pain. Sounds like Probably interstitial nephritis,
0: I don't know if a lot of um non medicine non nephrology and some other specialty people uh, would be able to articulate interstitial nephritis, you know, as they go through a question like this i don't I don't know if I could, without having a multiple choice answer right now. that's important because although you do have to have a diagnosis most of the time on these questions. Sometimes you learn clinical judgment and you're able to, I mean, not sometimes. This is kind of the point of a medical education, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I I know that, yeah, yeah, there's something allergic going on. The eosinophils really are the, the sort of hinge to my reasoning for choosing E, an allergic immune response in the renal interstitium, and vaguely remembering that Bactrim or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole is often implicated in that sort of pathophysiology. Just one other perhaps side comment, especially when you rotate as a third year medical student, I would say that you often feel like, man, what am I even doing here watching like my resident, my intern, my attending write a note all day long? And then I spend 10, 20 minutes each day maybe presenting a patient. I get so little feedback. I can't believe I'm paying over $100 a day for this. But you can take your education into your own hands, and one way to really be intentional about things and to learn is, I think, to take the presentations for real patients that you have and try to put them into a a USMLE-style vignette because, one, it will help your test-taking, it will help your clinical reasoning and judgment, and uh, thirdly you will learn to put things in the patterns that other people, colleagues, those above you, your teachers will expect to hear information. So that's kind of an aside, a little bit of advice. Seems like obvious, but if you aren't conscious of it, you can miss a lot of opportunities to learn.
1: I've got an aside on your aside. Writing a good note is something that you should, even if it's not required of you, go out of your way and do it. And I know it gets trickier with EMR when you can just copy paste and everything just kind of auto-populates from whatever happened yesterday. But when you take ownership of writing your note and you go through each lab value and call that each individual abnormality its own problem, it really will make not only your medical education better, but it will really help for your testing purposes. You'll find you just build a more holistic, more complete view of medicine in general and the approach to things and forming your differential and arguing for and against different parts of it. So go the extra mile if you have the, uh, the energy to do so and write a good note, even if you don't have to.
0: Amen to that. I agree. All right. So let's move on. Uh, where do we go from here?
1: I think the last thing I wanted to mention was, can we get to the correct answer here without Knowing the diagnosis. And for a question like this, if you do have a firm enough knowledge of the other disease processes which are getting hinted at by these incorrect answer choices, then you probably could figure out your way to the right answer, even if you don't connect interstitial nephritis to being an allergy in the interstitium. If you go through the wrong answer choices here, you'll see first one decreased renal perfusion secondary to dehydration. We really don't have any reason to believe the patient's dehydrated. Main people that are gonna be dehydrated, you're thinking GI losses, you're thinking that nursing home patient who is maybe bed-bound and doesn't really have access to go get a drink when they're thirsty. When you look at the post-obstructive nephropathy, that in itself, as far as a cause of kidney injury, is relatively rare. We need to have some sort of process that's blocking either both uridors or if you have uh, such bad prostate hyperplasia that the uh, prostatic urethra is blocked, your entire collecting system needs to be more or less shut down for this to really track its way into both kidneys. As we look at Wegener's, that has its own presentation, and usually we have some sort of respiratory issue with this form of vasculitis where you have a sinusitis or some sort of pulmonary hemorrhage. And then the last one, which is probably the most attractive of the incorrect ones, sloughing of tubular epithelium into the tubule, that's just your general definition for ATN acute tubular necrosis. And while that can sometimes have uh, an overlap to a prerenal syndrome and is definitely a cause of intrarenal, doesn't quite fit the bill of this one where we have a definite allergy occurring in the interstitium. If I'm
0: not incorrect, <laughs> I'll be kind of demure here. You would expect to see something on your analysis different than eosinophils, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Muddy brown casts. Yes, is it, it really? Yeah. Oh man, sometimes Believe I, I just it or get not. so excited. I have no idea why I get excited because I don't need to know these things for my clinical practice. But uh, it means your medical uh, school paid off. Yes. So thank you, University of Toledo College of Medicine, and I will just say yes. That makes me feel feel better about uh,
1: myself. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the um, when you get evidence of casts in your urinalysis, they're usually the most Specific finding and really are going to point you into the right direction. So pay attention to those casts. The full article for this
0: with a more detailed step by step breakdown is available in the show notes. And for those of you who stuck around to the end, thank you. I want to tell you about a kind of fun thing we're doing. So this is going to be a fake USMLE question campaign, and we're tying it to a contest. So from now until July 15th, head over to Twitter, go to my page, at Boards Insider, look for the pinned tweet. What we're doing are fake USMLE questions. So here's an example. If Deadpool were in a USMLE question vignette, his most likely diagnosis would be A. Dissociative Identity Disorder, B. Bipolar Disease, C. Antisocial Personality Disorder, or D. Other. So here are the contest rules. You want to tag the character on Twitter. For instance, Deadpool is at Deadpool movie in the question vignette and just set it up like if the character were in a USMLE question vignette, his most likely diagnosis would be, and then make a Twitter poll, pick four answer choices and tag Inside the Boards as well as Gomer blog. That's at Boards Insider and at Gomer blog. And then finally, use the hashtag fake. USMLE. The most creative fake USMLE question will get a one year subscription to our all audio cue bank for free. We'll have fun while doing it, maybe learn something. I don't know. It was just something that I thought would be a lot of fun. And you can also do it on other social media, I guess Reddit, Facebook, and Instagram, where on each platform we are at inside the boards or you can just send us an email to info at InsideTheBoards.com if you would like to contribute to the fake USMLE campaign. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Rao Reynolds and Enter Shikari for letting us use the track "Anesthetist" off the 2015 album The Mind Suite. We'll see you back next week for some more High Yield Learning.